0: to the Word of God, the Word of God which is taught to us by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. At this time, let us go to the book of Mark, continuing to work our way through the book of Mark. And as you're turning to the book of Mark, chapter 2, the end of chapter 2, I will be reading to you from 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel 21, so give ear and listen to what I read to you as you're turning to Mark chapter 2. Now David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest, and Ahimelech was afraid when he met David and said to him, Why are you alone? And no one is with you. So David said to Ahimelech the priest, "'The king has ordered me on some business, and, I, and, and said to me, "'Do not let anyone know anything about the business on which I send you, "'or what I have commanded you, "'and I have directed my young men to such and such a place. "'Now, therefore, what have you on hand? "'Give me five loaves of bread in my hand, or whatever can be found.'" And the priest answered David and said, There is no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread, if the young men have at least kept themselves from women. Then David answered the priest and said to him, Truly women have been kept from us about three days since I came out, and the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in effect common. Even though it was consecrated in the vessel this day. So the priest gave him holy bread, for there was no bread there, but the show bread, which had been taken from before the Lord, in order to put hot bread in its place on the day when it was taken away. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. And his name was Doeg, an Edomite, the chief of the herdsmen who belonged to Saul. And David said to Ahimelech, Is there not here on hand a spear or a sword? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. So the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine Whom you killed in the valley of Elah, there it is, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it, for there is no other except that one here. And David said, There is none like it. Give it to me. That was nine verses, a little bit longer. I trust that we've all easily found our way. Mark chapter 2. To the very end, I read that Old Testament passage because I think it's good to read an Old and a New Testament passage. But additionally, what we're about to read is about the Lord Jesus and He refers to the passage that we just read. So to give a better understanding and a more immediate sense of what Jesus is talking about, I give that to you. So now listen to our sermon text, the focus of today. Mark chapter 2, we start at 23, and we end the chapter. Now it happened that Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? But he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry, he and those with him? How he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest, and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat, except for the priests, and also gave some to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. So ends the reading of God's holy, inspired word at this time, if you would. Bow your heads. Let us pray to the Lord very briefly. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your rich promises. Your rich promises to be with the church in the person and work of the Lord Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And we thank you that he continues to be with us. We ask that he, your spirit, the spirit of the Son, would be with us just as we have read the word, may he be with us as we hear the explanation and the application of the word. And We pray that your spirit would do a wonderful work upon our minds and our hearts, leading to change in our hands this day, that we might build one another up in love and good deeds, and that we might serve the Lord Jesus Christ in the fullness of That he has ordained for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You have to be careful about making universal statements, but I'm going to try and give one here. No one loves a tattler. No one likes a tattletale. You ever heard anyone say, I want to be a tattler? There's no virtue in it. Young people, children, you like being tattled on when your your sibling or someone else knows something and goes and tells an authority, goes and tells mom and goes and tells dad. I think almost universally, Probably in every society we say, you know what? Someone who tells on another is not someone we want to be around. Now I'm sure someone could say, well, there are some people who tattle, and that might be good. For example, if someone were to have certain knowledge of the government's plan, some government's plans to harm. Uh, its own people and someone were to come forward and say let me expose this well that would actually be a virtuous thing to do But of course that's really not a tattler is it I don't think that applies we're talking about though a tattler a tattletale who rather than goes to someone directly and seeks to correct a situation, goes and tells on a person. I want to put forward to you today that the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the time of the Lord Jesus are tattletales, and there's very little that's virtuous that I can find in them. Look what it says in... uh, Mark 2.28 in 2, uh, excuse me, two 2.24, let me correct that. The Pharisees said to him, that is to the Lord Jesus, look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? These religious leaders, these Pharisees, see what the disciples are doing, And they go tell on them to the Lord Jesus. Well, see, this is the opposite, the mirror image of what they did previously when they did a different sort of tattle-telling. Because you need only go a few verses before to verse 16. Look what happens in 2.16 and when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? You see what they're doing. It's very subtle, but it's right before you in your text and mine. These religious leaders do not have the, the, the guts, really, To go directly. So they see what Jesus is doing. And they try to bring a sort of tension between Jesus and his disciples. And then when that fails, because Jesus does really remarkable things. He does signs and wonders. Well, then they try the opposite. They go and tell on the disciples to uh, the Lord Jesus. This is not how religious leaders ought to act. Remember what the Lord Jesus says. This is not really to religious leaders, but it's to all people. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, the Lord Jesus says that if a brother offends you, what should you do? Go to him privately. Now, the situation is different, understand. Public offenses and false teaching ought to be handled in a different way than if a brother or sister uh, comes, uh, finds himself offending you. If it is a personal offense, you go to him, you go to her, and Matthew gives you steps to go through First going alone, then bringing witnesses. But I think it is clear, should be clear to you, it's very clear to me, that this is an instance in which they should have confronted directly, but they were what we would call, I think, in our day, beta males. They were being beta males, they were being weak They were being chickens. They were seeking to stir up controversy where there was not any. Well, there they are, telling on the disciples, do you see what your disciples are doing? Well, what were the disciples doing? They were going through the grain fields on the Sabbath, they were journeying, and what do they do? They are hungry, and so they take a little bit of the top of the grain so that they can have a little something to eat. And the deci- the, the Pharisees respond and say, This is not lawful. Well, anyone t- anytime someone... Uh, tells you that this is not lawful we you you ought to we ought to ask what lawful according to what it is right for us to ask what law have I broken, what rule have I violated? Well, let me just stand back from the text and let you know that what they do what they did there was not unlawful. It was lawful according to the Word of God. There is no place in your Bible that says you may not do this. In fact, the Lord was merciful in ancient Israel in such a way that He had rules and provisions for situations just like this. For those who are journeying, and for those who are poor, as they go, they are allowed to take just a little bit, enough to nourish themselves, even on the Lord's Day, even on the Sabbath. Now, they were not allowed to bring a sickle and harvest. That would have been a violation. In what sense is this unlawful? It's in the sense that this is a violation of the Pharisees' rules and regulations. This is not a violation of the law of God. It is a violation of man-made law. And so, these men are wrong just to begin with. But what does Jesus do? He says, have you not read? Don't you love it when Jesus says that? These are the experts. Can you imagine saying, speaking to some scientist about his own field? Have you not read a 101 textbook in your own field? That's, that's the, the gist of what he's saying here. Have you not read what David did? Well, what did David do? Well, we read from 1 Samuel 21, David is on the run, and he finds himself in the the house of the Lord. And the men men are hungry, and you you must see that there was common bread, but there was a holy bread, a sanctified, set-aside bread, which was to be periodically set out in the the temple, and in the tabernacle. And there was no common bread. But, they do make an exception here. They gave the bread, which was the bread of the priests. And they gave it to David's men in a time of need. This was only lawful, as I said for the priest Leviticus 24.9 tells us this and it shall be Aaron's and his sons and they shall eat it in the holy place for it is most holy unto him of the offerings of the Lord made by fire by a perpetual statute so just stand back and ask yourself what is going on here first of all These men are saying that your disciples are doing what is unlawful. Well, it's not unlawful for for the law of the Lord. It may be a violation of man-made law. But let's just say, imagine if it had been a divine law. Then what? Well, the fact is, We should follow God's laws. We should follow them meticulously and carefully. But even the laws and the commands that the the Lord has given, His very statutes, there are times when there are exceptions. Exceptions of grace and mercy. And that is what the Pharisees fail to see. You see, they had not only made up laws around God's word about harvesting, allegedly harvesting a little bit of grain on the Sabbath day. They had all sorts of laws, all sorts of man-made laws. And these man-made laws included things like how many steps you were able to walk. It had all kinds of meticulous, careful instructions about life. Have you ever had a boss or someone who was watching your every move? You know, sometimes bosses and jobs, they're kind of hands-off. You know why? Because they trust you. They trust that you're going to get the work done. But there are, there are other bosses who are watching you like a hawk because those bosses are watching and waiting for you to fail. Well, Which one makes for a better work environment? Certainly one where there is trust, where your boss waits for you to get the work done, sees that you got the work done, and then goes along. But where you are watched like a hawk to make a mistake, and there is a sense in which the person seeking to find the mistake has some joy in catching you, this is not a good environment. It's certainly not a job that you want to be at. But you see, What the Pharisees had done with the law was to make an environment in which all eyes are on you, and there is a sense of hope that you will fail so that they can put you down and so that they can raise themselves up. Well, our Westminster Confession, on the basis of what our Bible tells us, has a lot to say about the liberty and the freedom that we have. We are free as Christians, not only from the the, uh, Old Testament law of God, the Levitical laws and the ceremonial laws, but our confession also tells us, rightly, on the basis of the teachings of the prophets and of the Lord Jesus that we are not bound by the commandments of men, and we are not bound by those who teach the commandments of men as if they are the commandments of the Lord. Well, what is Jesus' conclusion? 27, 28, two conclusions. One, the Sabbath was made for man and also the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. You must understand what he's saying there when he says the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. The Pharisees had filled all of Jerusalem and all of Israel with with these man-made laws. And they were not the the, the joy and the delight that the Lord had intended for the Sabbath to be. Isaiah 58 tells us that. To call the Sabbath a delight, that's what we're called to do. But... The Pharisees had made it a massive burden. On the Sabbath day, when they would go to meet inquiring eyes, inquiring minds, they want to know how will you violate this so we can make some accusation against you? It was no longer a joy, it was not what God had intended. It is always that way. God gives something. It is for our good. It is for His glory. And what does man do? He messes it up by adding his own ideas and his own interpretations. We must be very careful to see what the Lord says about the Sabbath day we should be careful and meticulous about what he says on his day. But once it becomes a burden, simply what can you do and what can you not do? Beyond what the Lord has said, then it loses loses its effect and it misses what it was intended to be. Basically, though, you should see this, that the Lord Jesus is saying, I decide these matters. I decide these matters. It is where he says, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. That we see that he is claiming, Jesus is claiming authority over a day. And he says, I will be the arbiter of what is lawful and unlawful. I will be the one who tells you what you may do and what you may not do. But before we talk about Lord of the Sabbath, let us meditate for a moment on the Son of Man. What does it mean when Jesus says, the Son of Man. We might be inclined. We might be inclined to say, well, when Jesus says, I am the Son of Man, this is actually a term of humiliation and of humility. Whereas if he were to say, the Son of God, well, that's an exalted term. That's uh, basically a, a surface reading. It really is a misreading. See, because when Jesus refers to himself as the Son of God, that is an exalted term. But when he refers to himself as the Son of Man, it is as well. Son of God and Son of Man are very high terms, very exalted Now in John chapter 10, they wanted to to stone him. Why? Because he claimed to be God by saying that he was a son of God. Well, that's huge. But on our passage, the son of man, he is referring to the book of Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. And 14, where Daniel sees the Son of Man, or one like a Son of Man, and it is not a humble or humiliated form, it is an exalted form. Listen to it briefly Daniel chapter 7 13. Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven, and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. Do not miss the subtlety of what the Lord Jesus is saying to these Pharisees. He's not saying, I'm just an average Joe, when he says, I am the Son of Man. He is saying, When I say that I am the Son of Man, I am that one, Daniel chapter 7, and I am one who is King and Lord, and I have dominion over nations and over people. I decide these sorts of things. And so on the basis of that, Jesus says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. I am the one who decides what will be done on that day. And to that we say, Amen. What does it mean to be Lord of the Sabbath? You realize the importance of the creation narrative. If you were to go through Genesis chapter 1, you have all of Genesis chapter 1 on the first day and second and third, all the way through to the sixth day. The Lord is working, and he creates particular things on particular days. And after the sixth day with the creation of man, his work of creation is complete. And then the Lord takes a Sabbath rest. God takes a rest. And it is not because he is tired. It is not like you or me who spend five or six days of labor and then need a rest. Not at all. The Lord did not need that. But he took a rest on the seventh day. And the opening verses of Genesis chapter 2 indicate that for us. Genesis chapter 2, 1 through 3, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made, And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. When God takes a rest that day, it is not because of fatigue. It is because he desired to show his royal Sovereignty, his kingly rule over what he had created. When you see a king, and we don't have too many of them in our day and age. When you see a king, what is he doing? Sitting on a throne? It's a picture of his rule and reign over all of his realm. Why does God take a day off? It is to proclaim his lordship, to proclaim his sovereignty and his dominion over that which is his. <clears throat> so do you see the boldness of what the Lord Jesus is doing here? It's very bold what he says. I, I fear we are very accustomed to the language, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. And we don't hear it the way that they would have heard it. Let me seek to illustrate it. What if I were to tell you that I am the Lord of Friday? I think you would probably prepare me for a rubber room with a straight jacket, But what if I insisted on it? No, 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 no. Let me tell you, I have the authority to tell you what to do on Friday. And if I declare that you must wear orange and blue on Friday, then you must do it. Or if I tell you that you must wear something else or do something else, and I mean it. I am the Lord of Friday. The audacity of someone saying that. The audacity of me saying that. Now, if it's just an average Joe like myself, dismissal. That's crazy talk. Now, what if a king of a, a, a nation or some emperor of a totalitarian nation, he says, I am the Lord of Friday. You might think of you know the, the, the dictator of North Korea doing something like that. Multiple generations of that. I'm the one that you're to pray to. I'm the one you're to worship. That's really what he says. They do that. They pray to the, the dead father and grandfather because the dictator tells you well, now we've moved it to a different level, have we not? We're not talking about just average Joe, a crazy man. Now it's something that is enforceable and enforced. Well, what's the difference between the two? Well, one has no power, and one has the power to do it. But both are wrong and both are wicked. Well, what's different about Jesus when he does it? It is because he was the one who was there at creation. He was with the Father and with the Spirit, the creator of the world in the space of six days. And it was he who rested along with his Father and the Spirit on that day. And so now here he is in human flesh, And he lays aside none of his divine attributes when he takes on human flesh. And he says, I will decide. I will tell you. You will not, with your man-made laws, tell these people what they may do. Jesus is pushing back against their oppression they had made what God intended to be a delight into a totalitarian form of oppression, spiritual oppression. These disciples seemed to have been so zealous for the worship of the Lord that they got up and they just went. Because They were probably wanting to go to the house of the Lord. Psalm 122. I delighted when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Now, the Pharisees, they were known for sumptuous feasting on that day. But the disciples were not Pharisees. The disciples were zealous to go to worship the Lord. And so they did. And they did not take account of all of their necessities. And so there was a little bit of provision on the way provided by the Lord according to the law, and yet the Pharisees wanted to contradict this. But make no mistake, Jesus Christ, the God-man He delights in his people, delighting in the Lord's day and in the Sabbath day. He delights to give such a blessing to his people. We must draw from this, though, from the last verse, that the Sabbath is perpetual. The Sabbath is perpetual. Jesus says, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath for another two years. Three years max. That would be absurd, wouldn't it? When he says that he is the Lord of the Sabbath, his words reach all the way back to that first Sabbath and to that first creation week, that first work week. But there is no end, there is no terminus to the lordship of Jesus Christ over the Sabbath. How absurd would it be for him to be thinking, but once I die on the cross and have finished, well then there is no Sabbath then there is no Lord's Day. And as absurd as that is, that seems to be the viewpoint of most of the professing church. Now make no mistake, the Sabbath has ended the Sabbath was of the Old Testament and the Old Covenant. Our confession is right on the money when it, when it, when it summarizes uh, the biblical teaching. And it tells us that from the creation of the world to the resurrection, the Sabbath day was the seventh day. But the, from the resurrection and onward, it is the first day of the week Many of the same things apply. Now, we don't have time to go into all that I'd like to argue for the, the change of the Sabbath from Sabbath to Lord's Day. But the fourth commandment is still applicable to us. The Lord in his sovereignty has changed it. Jesus said that his disciples would be led by the Spirit into all truth. And you know what the disciples, the apostles began to do after His resurrection, which was on the first day. Sunday, we would call it. The Lord's Day. You know what they began to do? Worship on the first day of the week. Worship on the first day of the week. This was challenged by some Christian Pharisees early on in the church. But for the most part, it was unchallenged until the ninth century, 19th century when some cults and false religions began to spring up and challenge Sunday, the Lord's Day, being the Sabbath. Jesus Christ is Lord of the Sabbath, and so not only can he tell you what is to be done and not done on that day, but He has the sovereignty and the power and the authority to change it from the seventh day, a day of anticipation to the first day, a day of looking back at His victorious resurrection. And so you If you would acknowledge the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you would acknowledge His sovereignty over the day. He has made it to be a blessing for you. But unfortunately, in our day and age, this teaching is largely lost. It is largely lost for about 19 centuries, you must understand. Most Christians, if they were properly taught, if they were properly discipled, and of course there were times when the Roman church hid the gospel under a bushel basket, and, all, and did all kinds of wicked things. But I'm talking about under normal situation, normal circumstances. The people of God acknowledged the Lordship of Jesus Christ by working six days and then spending the Lord's Day, Revelation one ten, which is Sunday, as some would call it, The first day of the week. To hate the Lord's Day or to hate the Sabbath or to give it some sort of uh, affirmation but then ignore it in your actions is in one sense to nullify the Lord's lordship over your heart. You see, God cares who is worshipped, the first commandment. And God cares how he is worshipped. That's the second commandment. And God cares about the heart of the worshipper. That's the third commandment. But God also desires to be the Lord of your time and mine. And there are some Christians who are happy to worship the true God, and many of them seek to do so in a way that he has commanded, or at least they think that he commanded. But they will not give the Lord his time. The blessing that he has bestowed, they call it a curse. There's one historian, seminary professor, and former president of a a certain seminary and in his teaching on this it's very striking he says when it comes to the the 20th century that is the 1900s to 2000 when it comes to the 20th century this is the century where the Christian church largely gave up its care and its affirmation and practice of the Sabbath day, the Lord's day, without a fight, without a fight. You understand that, that when decline sets into the church, usually there's a huge outcry. But the beginning of the 20th century, the people of God went to church and they would seek to spend the day in the private and public worship of the Lord, spending time with family and friends. And it was very customary. It was not just the Presbyterians and the fundamental Baptists, but many other forms of Christians kept a morning worship service and an evening Worship service was much more customary. It seems that the the fundamental Baptists have held on to that. And for the most part, Reformed and Presbyterians have done so. And this is because there was a morning and an evening sacrifice in the Old Covenant. And so, on the Lord's Day, there was a continuation of that. A morning and evening sacrifice of praise to the Lord In a sense, we can say it is tragic what happened, what began in 1900. If you look at churches back then, and then look at them in the year 2000, what do we see? A decline in biblical literacy, a decline in love of the Lord, a decline in many, many things. And it's a decline of the people of God giving lordship of the day to the Lord Jesus himself. And so briefly, let me just tell you, let me remind you that it is the Lord's day and it is not the Lord's morning. And the older I get, the more I am affirmed. And what I thought a number of years ago, what you do on Sunday, what you do on the Lord's day is what has your heart. We have six days to shop and to work and take care of all of the duties which are ours. But look at what we do on the Lord's Day. Do we give it to the Lord? Whose day is it, anyways? Is it that we give it to the Lord, to family and friends, to worshiping Him, to building one another up in love and good deeds? It ought to be that. It ought to be that. We must examine our hearts. What do we give our hearts to on the Lord's Day? That is what we worship, be it sports, interest in politics, certain hobbies, excessive shopping, and all sorts of other things. Where is your heart and where is my heart? When I graduated high school, I had two loves, two mistresses. One was journalism, and the other was sports, and especially professional football. And I thought, how can I bring my two mistresses together? My plan was sports journalism. I dreamed of being one of those men on the sidelines and in the booth, or writing about these things. We used to have these things called newspapers. I loved it, believed in it. Well, a lot has changed since then. And the Lord showed me a number of things. I realized that I cannot worship the Lord and acknowledge him on his day when I'm giving my time to a vocation that was that is dead set. Upon taking people away from the Lord and worshiping in a large coliseum. That is what we did. I was from Denver. It was religion for us. But we turn, we change, and we must change. We must examine ourselves. We are almost 25 years into this century we have witnessed decline for that 100 years and the decline continues today is the day for us to resolve to acknowledge the Lord Jesus and acknowledge what is his including this day in a culture that is continuing to flounder. Brothers and sisters, fathers and brothers, we must seek the old paths, for many of them were right, and we must seek the Lord's commandments, because even his fourth one is in effect, and it is right, and we must go against the continuing decline of this present age, and keep the Lord's day, But that not not to be the reason why we do it. We ought to do it. Because the Lord is the Lord. And the Lord is the Lord of the Lord's day. And Jesus died for sinners. He died for those who have violated his commandments. He died for those who have been Pharisees and have added to his commandments. He was merciful to them, and many of them came to the Lord Jesus. But he is also merciful to those who have been the polar opposite, those who have taken away from his commandments and said either by their words or by their actions that these things don't mean anything anymore. Jesus died to save sinners, to save tax collectors, publicans, even prostitutes, and also Pharisees like you and me, both adulterous and idolatrous in our hearts. May the Lord be merciful to us. May He be merciful to His church, turning her away from minimizing his word and his truth, or maximizing the words and the commandments of men. He is merciful. He died on a cross for you. And he rose from the dead to further establish and demonstrate his his lordship and his glory. To Jesus be the glory, now and forevermore. Amen. Let us pray. Once again, our Heavenly Father, we come to you acknowledging our sin, acknowledging that we are weak, and we are prone to many, many errors. The sinfulness of our hearts so often minimize your commandments, and then to make up the difference, we add to them. And then we realize we have added man-made things, and so we take away from them, and then we add to them again. We are so often off of the target. Help us, O Lord and Father, to hit the target. But we thank you that though we cannot, that the Lord Jesus has perfectly fulfilled your law. From the first to the last, and especially the fourth, no one can truly accuse him of breaking the Sabbath. And we thank you that there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, and that we rest in him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.